0: Hey, caffeinators! welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to uh, another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, where neither Dave nor I are Mr. Worldwide, but we are worldwide. (laughs) Um, We'd like to thank all of our caffeinators today for your continued support, um, for liking and subscribing to us on all of our channels, on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all of that fun stuff. Um, To our Patreons, thank you very much for your continued support. We really, really appreciate all that. Um, if you're a first-timer here to the Vet Tech Cafe, head over to vettechcafe.com. Um, you can find out info about Dave and I and why we do this, how long we've been doing this, kind of our story. Links to all of our previous episodes um, and our uh, store as well. Um, so definitely head over there and check that out.
0: Dave, uh, how's it going out there? What's uh, what's new with you? Oh, just trying to survive the North Carolina heat and humidity. <laughs> and. Uh... Uh, it's good here it's uh, I I, as everyone knows I I enjoy the heat but sometimes it gets to be a little much a little a little humid but uh, I'm I'm dealing with it I'm still doing my running even though it's like 90 degrees and 175 percent humidity I'm still doing it Um, it, because that motivates me and keeps me going Uh, but things are good here how are things going out there things are good um we've all been a little under the weather the last
1: couple of weeks but i think we've finally got that behind us which is nice um it's getting hot here too um but uh but you know slogging away and just uh doing work on the new house and getting um getting my new little kind of recording area set up um uh, got some fun projects i'm kind of working on with that so you know, a little bit by little bit, just kind of plugging away in the new place. So, um, well, we've got another awesome episode today. Um, and then the reason I make the the crack about, um, you know, being worldwide is we have another international guest today, which, uh, super excited about. We've done a few of these episodes, Dave, and they're always a ton of fun because we learn so much about vet med in so many other places in the world, which is so very similar, but also very different. And, you know, while, we fight, we fight all the same battles, and I, I think we can you know, really learn from each other in a lot of ways, so I think these episodes are always a, a lot of fun. We have um, Jack Pye coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Uh, Jack began his career at, uh, in a first opinion practice where he developed a passion for progression, and after successfully qualifying in 2018, he decided to pursue a new challenge at a small animal hospital in Norfolk. Uh, he's so, works, working solely in emergency and critical care, setting out hours, uh, out of hours, which which is uh, an area he enjoys. Since then, um, he now works as a locum in various clinical settings and gained his certificate in ECC in 2022. Um he's particularly keen for per, uh, continuous personal and professional development in which he has developed a passion to support other veterinary professionals to grow and enhance their skill sets. He has a special interest in ultrasonography and is currently uh is an IMV imaging ambassador and vet nurse consultant speaker. Um he has many social media platforms, check him out at I P Y E underscore R-V-N. Um, His goal there is encouraging and supporting others' professional development and skills. And in November 2022, he was also awarded recognition for his contribution to the veterinary industry by being named one of uh, London Vet Shows 30 Under 30. Dave, I don't think we would make that award anymore. Perhaps um, you you need 50 at 50 and, and I need maybe 50 under 50, but not by much. <laughs> um, he's also uh, been involved with the BVNA, the British Veterinary Nursing Association, after being elected on their council in 2019. So, Jack, thank you so much for taking some time out to uh, to join us here at the Vet Tech Cafe. I think it's evening for you. It's still morning for me. But um, we always ask what can we get you for a cup of coffee, but maybe for you a cup of tea.
2: It is evening here. Yeah, it's about six o'clock in the evening here, but um, I could drink coffee at any time of day and it doesn't actually make <laughs> a difference to how awake I am.
1: I love so it. So <laughs> I can have it at
2: midnight. Um, I think that was the beauty of working nights. I just got used to drinking coffee all the way through the night and it didn't really affect me. So uh, yeah. I hear you. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, uh, take us through your career path, kind of what got you into vet med, how you started out, some of the major stops along the way, all the way up to what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, well, firstly, thank you for having me on here. Um, it's a bit of a privilege to be going all the way over to you guys. So um, I started in veterinary medicine, so I qualified in 2018. But before that, it was a bit of a sort of bumpy journey to getting there. I always knew I wanted to go to veterinary nursing um, from a young age. I want Initially, it was a vet that changed to veterinary nursing university for five, six years, put me right off. Um so he decided <laughs> to go down the veterinary nursing route and after actually doing a bit of work experience in the clinics figured out veterinary nursing was far much more interesting in terms of what I wanted to do in terms of having that hands-on continuation with the patients. I really like problem solving and stuff like that as well. So but you know, when I was a young person I was in the in the garden playing with all sorts of animals I could find, whether they were frogs or or whatever. So and then got my first tortoise at the age of ten and then since then it's sort of snowballed into a bit of an animal obsession really. So <laughs> found a veterinary nursing a sort of apprenticeship sort of style um, job um, eventually after sort of quite a few years of looking for it when I was about, must have been about, I'm trying to think now, I qualified three years, uh, four four or five years ago now, so three years before that, so probably came out about eight or nine years ago now, and that was the hardest part really, was finding a practice in the UK that will support you throughout three years of your training it's Hmm. quite tricky because it's a very sort of competitive market um i think probably what helps me is that i'm a male in the uk and a male vet nurse i think we're about three percent of the registered veterinary nurses in the uk are, are male so it shouldn't do but it probably helps you stand out a little bit but that shouldn't be something that obviously is considered and then i went into my student journey And it was quite a bumpy road in terms of exams. I'm very much a practical person. The theory side of stuff takes a little while to get into my brain. Um, You could ask me to do something practically and I'll pick it up after you show me and doing it once. Theory, I probably need to sleep on the book for about 365 (laughs) days a year until I actually can pick up any anatomy and physiology. Yeah. (laughs) So that exam actually nearly stops me from becoming a vet nurse. I failed that exam four times so our limit is four times of failing an exam and then after that, you have to take a year out mm. luckily there was disruption through one of my exams so um, I actually got another attempt at the exam which I didn't know about um, so I had another one of those put my heart and soul into revising for this exam every minute of the day that I could put towards it alongside also working in clinic which has its challenges as how busy it is and stuff and managed to pass it And that was pretty much the biggest hiccup I had on the way through. There was the other other exam that I needed a a second attempt at, um, but apart from that, it was fine. And then got to my practical exams and flew through the practical exams because, you know, being sort of a very sort of kinesthetic practical person, that wasn't really an issue. So qualified in the practice that I trained at. And soon after then, um, it was a a strange working environment. So decided it was time to move on and then went to working in out of hours. Where I done solely nights for three and a half years in emergency and critical care, which is where I found my love for ultrasound in emergency patients, really, and it's kind of just taken off from there, really. And here I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing!
0: Uh, I have to ask what what is there. So, I have so many questions about your your bio. <laughs> what What is a first opinion practice?
2: The first opinion practice is your primary care sort of stuff. So okay, instead okay. of like a referral hospital with specialists, it's your, um you know, they're all round sort of clinician that they do boosters, vaccinations, neutering, everything from sort of your, your first stage operations.
0: So <clears> kind <throat> of like what we call general practice here in the US.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I, ju- I was just concerned because it was in quotes, and I was like, "What does that mean when it's in quotes? Mean <laughs> sarcastic, or what's going on here?" <laughs> um. So one of the questions we always like to ask our guests is, "Is where do you see the veterinary technician profession right now?" And I, I kind of want to focus more on what does it look like in the UK for you, because Jeff, I believe this is the first UK mm-hmm. guest we've had. Is that correct? correct. Yeah. Yeah. So so talk okay. to us a little bit about the profession in in
2: your area of the world. Okay. So. I understand the profession might be very slightly different as to what it is over in the US compared to the UK. I know we're sort of referred to as veterinary nurses over here, which I think over in the USA is a bit of a contentious issue with the word nurse. Very um, contentious. Over here, <laughs> the, the nursing sort of um, job role over here is is a very tricky and contentious topic in quite a lot of different ways. So pay is a massive one the job at role in itself is another one as well so I'll start off with pay and um, probably in the last few years or so it has increased it's probably still not where it should be but it is going in the right direction so unfortunately a lot of people could sometimes get a bit bogged down being like I'm not paid enough and, and various things like this for you know knowing our worth because we do do a lot of practical skills a lot of knowledge a lot of studying goes into what we do to become a vet nurse over here as well over over with you guys too so that's a big contentious issue but it is going in the right direction I think a lot of people find it difficult to step back and look where we where we've come from in the last five years and how much it has developed and there is a long way to go the other thing is probably the actual job role so I love social media for this fact because people post things on social media and then it snowballs to people knowing what they can can't do and they'll see things they'll be like oh we can do that in our clinic and then it just sort of advances through there Hmm. there is a bit of a retention issue which is down to probably pay job satisfaction and lack of sort of progression routes but again this something that it is it is coming and if you looked back sort of six or seven years ago there's job roles out there now in the uk for vet nurses that were never there so they're now in more sort of senior leadership roles management roles Um, you know really sort of pioneering different things within our industry so it is going in the right direction it just doesn't happen overnight unfortunately and we're currently going through a big sort of legislative sort of reform so veterinary nurse isn't protected within um, the UK so anybody can call themselves a vet nurse regardless of what um, studies have done so they could have done no study but they can refer to themselves as a a vet nurse which is obviously quite disheartening when you've gone through three years of hard work right right um so currently there's a big push to try and protect that title over here um so hopefully within the the sort of coming years that'll be done um but also our vet surgeons act is extremely outdated it's from 1966 which i mean i was nowhere near the planet at this point right (laughs) um so yeah there's a lot of change happening um But yeah, it's a very contentious issue with some people leaving the profession, some people getting a bit fed up with it. Obviously, the the pressures from the pandemic that we had with the increase in pet ownership has just put massive amounts of pressure and stress on people, sort of, you know, on the front line in in practices. So that's also another reason for like a bit of a a job sort of retention crisis that we've got. Yeah.
0: And I guess one question I would have is, is do you guys have a... um... Not necessarily. Like here we have NAFTA, which is a national association of vet techs, um, but each state has its own individual tech association. Do you guys have that over in the UK? Is it is it a national thing or is it divided up into the different regions or how, how do you have that?
2: So in the UK, it's a national thing. So our governing body is the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons so they okay. govern the vets and the nurses within that and we have a code of conduct that we have to abide by so as a veterinary nurse not allowed to diagnose anything which is quite a sort of specific part of that and also um, enter a body cavity is another thing so we can't do fine needle aspirates of abdomen or thor- thoracic sort of oh, cavities okay. um, amongst other things that is covered on, under that sort of legislation as well so it's there to sort of protect us protect animal welfare and sort of drive that profession sort of forward but there's a few blockers in there from people being able to sort of advance if they want to in, in certain areas. So hence the the reform that's hopefully sort of imminently on its way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I kind of said this in the intro a little bit. It, it, I mean, so much of what you're talking about are all the same things, you know, we, we fight in battle here and, and, change the titles, maybe change some of the requirements around a little bit. It's, it's, it's all the same. And, and we've, we've heard that, you know, we've talked to people in Australia, Malaysia recently um, you know, everybody's I think like a little bit different stage as far as fighting those battles, but like yeah. everybody's kind of fighting those battles still. And um, I, I, th- I think there's gotta be a way that like globally, somehow we can put our heads together and like work Together yeah. to, to solve some of this stuff. Um, you know, you mentioned um, the the title. You guys are uh, registered veterinary nurses. Us being uh, veterinary technicians here. So, kind of describe the path to becoming an RVN. Um, you mentioned you know education and in three years. I guess what I would also be curious about is before you. Become an RVN. What is your title um, here? It's veterinary assistant if you're uh, non-credentialed, and then also because you have your ECC certificate. So a little bit more about the the path to that as well.
2: Yeah, of course. So there's a few different pathways to becoming an RVN. There's um, the sort of level three diploma route, which is the one that I did, which is more of an apprenticeship sort of style. So you're learning. On the job so usually sort of four days in practice one day at college doing studies exams or all the extra bits that you need to do and through those three years you work on something that's called an NPL so it's a nursing progress log which is like an online portal of where you have to log experiences such as placing intravenous catheters mm. um you know triaging emergencies oxygen support doing anesthesia all of those different things that sort of comes in our everyday job role until you're signed off as being competent in each one of those sort of areas, essentially. So that's completed over the entire three years. Until you've completed that NPL, you can't um, progress to your practical examinations, which is that last step. And through those three years, you've got exams as well, sort of, that, that will go up in there. So theory exams will pop up sort of, throughout the years as well.
0: And all of that, all of that is after the after schooling,
2: or is that during schooling? So, No, so you finish school, so we have GCSEs over here. So GCSEs at school, and then you need certain requirements, so five A-star to Cs um, to then have that entry requirement to that veterinary nursing um, Mm -hmm. diploma route. There are other routes into it, other sort of pathways that you can do top-ups if you haven't quite got those certain grades that you can then access that course, or an animal nursing assistant qualification you can do prior to that to then build up onto that one as well. So that's one route. Um, but there are many different pathways. A lot of people might say if they not done as well in their GCSEs, they thought they might think that's the end of the road. But there are lots of different pathways you can do to to get into it. The other one is a university route. So going to university and doing like a, de- a degree stage, um, which I believe off the top of my head is an extra year. And you do placement blocks of in practice throughout that. So a lot of it is theory based in, in the university as well, working in the wet labs and things like that. And then at the end of it, they've got a degree. So it kind of also gives them a bit more of a stepping stone to potentially progress onto other degrees, other university routes as well. Um, and also sort of other academic um, opportunities going forward. So they're the main two sort of routes going going from there, and then that gets you your RVN title. And then from that after so obviously you have to complete your practical exams after that. You then have to remain registered with the RCVS and we have to do 15 hours of continued professional development every year. Um, I think you might got you guys might call it clinical education or uh, say... Yeah, con- essentially yeah continuing education, yeah. That's it, yeah. So we have to do 15 hours of that every year and that has to be logged on there and then we have to pay our registration fee as well. So um, if you haven't got those requirements, they'll, they'll write to you and say that you need to top up your, your CPD before you can sort of re-register and things like that.
0: That's pretty similar. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So then after that, there's various different certificates that you can obtain and and go for if you want to to sort of almost specialise in certain different areas of sort of clinical work if you want to. Um, So I specifically done ECC because it was an interest that I had um, and working sort of out of hours and doing nights. It was very relevant to what I was seeing every day at work or every night at work, if you like. And that was a 18 month, two year programme of assignments um case-based sort of studies and stuff like that with two big exams at the end of that so two three-hour exams are done at the end um which is now actual virtual exams so they're done from home um instead of having to sort of travel the the sort of length and breadth of the country to go to exam centers which is quite nice um however <laughs> i did have a bit of a hiccup in mind because the whole system crashed halfway through my exam this year uh, oh, no. back in 2022 and I was sitting there, I was like, what has gone on? And on this exam portal, it said that you've been suspended from your exam. Please contact your invigilator. Try oh. to contact the invigilators. And I couldn't get through to anybody. So I turned my phone on and it went nuts. And our queen had just died at the time. So oh it, all the website traffic had just gone crazy and just knocked oh off my <laughs> so Oh, my gosh. So I wow. would always remember my ECC exam being at the time that the queen died. So, oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. That's
2: wow. it's quite an event, um, and then yeah, you have to wait about sort of four to six weeks for results, which is agonisingly painful um, to wait for those those results to come through. And then yeah, once you pass it, you're allowed to use those postnominals after your name. But there's certificates in all sorts, really. So there's ECC, anaesthesia, surgical nursing, um, consulting, um, nutrition. So all, all sorts of different things. Sadly, in my case, there isn't a diagnostic imaging certificate at the moment. So I'm hoping someone's going to bring one of those out.
0: Maybe you yeah. need to start one, yeah? <laughs> that is, is it, the
2: idea. <laughs> is,
0: that, is that something that, um, you know, because here in the States, if we want to have, a, like Jeff's always talking about a, a toxicology VTS, and hmm. essentially it's the people that work in that field that have to create that. Is that something that you in the UK exactly. can do that? Yeah?
2: ideally you'd need so you'd need an exam board to sort of certify it and potentially like a college or university to support it as well there's quite a few um different cbd companies out there who do certificates so vets now was the one i done my ECC certificate Mm -hmm. with and there's other ones like improve international um as well sort of out there who have various sort of certificates on on topics as well so i'm hoping I've won the imaging companies or, or someone like that will potentially look to produce a diagnostic imaging stif- certificate because it's definitely wanted that the amount of sort of nurses who want to expand their skills as much as possible into the areas that they love, their niche areas that they really want to advance in. It, it's, it's an obvious choice, really.
0: Yeah. And and for, you know, I know for the VTSs, we have to have like uh, like the the doctor version of it to like sign off on it. Is that, is that kind of similar to what's going on in the UK?
2: Yeah, so it has to be like accredited um, over yeah. here. If it's going to be a certificate and approved, and all the clinical education, I think you do like race accreditation sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's uh, along those lines. It has to be sort of signed off. Okay. Up and accredited. That all the stuff is up to date. Well,
0: you'll have to let us know when you get that off the ground, and uh, so mm. we can promote it for you. Um, so, <laughs> so talk to us about about ultrasound. You know that that seems to be your passion, and and where did that come from? Like, where did that where is the seed of, oh, this is something I want
2: to do with my career? So It's quite an interesting story. Well, not, I don't know if it's that interesting, but I'll, I'll tell you anyway. Um, When I <laughs> was a student and the vets used to do ultrasound in the practice, they used to be like, oh, can somebody come and help me hold this patient so I can do an ultrasound scan on it? I used to actively run and hide so I didn't have to help them do ultrasound scans because I would literally find it so boring and then you fall asleep. So the fact that now <laughs> it's one of my, like, favorite subjects and I could talk about it for hours is like I don't know where they come from really apart from the fact I went on a CPD um, day which was a practical and theory day so theory in the morning then practical sort of um, teaching in the afternoon and the speaker um, was brilliant and really engaging um, and sort of just basically that's where my love of it came from so we've done a day of it there and working in ECC I used to get to do quite a lot of um, fast scanning sort of um, you know T fast scanning abdomens free fluid and all that sort of stuff so I got to put that a CPD into practice quite quickly and as I was doing it more and more and more I was getting more confident and the vets I was working with would then feel like they could teach me or delegate scans to me and it used to just get quite exciting and when you found something abnormal and you could actually make a real difference to that patient's pathway of their treatment plan and see them actually walk out the door as opposed to potentially their prognosis being a lot poorer if it was left for 30, 45 minutes, if they were bleeding into their abdomen potentially. So it, then the real buzz came from that. I decided to, to sort of post about it on social media through the month of May um, a few years ago, which is our Vet Nurse Awareness Month that we have over here that's run by BVNA. And I got a lot of messages the first time I put a post on about it, and people were asking me what qualification I did in order to allow me to ultrasound scan animals. And I was like, your RVN qualification is enough for you to scan animals. Technically you don't need one of those to scan animals. There are people over here who will do ultrasound scans on animals. However, it's a bit of a, a gray area in terms of like diagnosing and stuff like that. Sure. So, sure. But as an RVN, you can ultrasound scan. The biggest question I then got asked was, isn't it diagnosing? Cause we'd not allowed to diagnose. So then people start to get worried. Are they going to cross that line? Are they going to get in trouble from our governing body? Now, my massive sort of thing that I always cover in my lectures now is that doing an ultrasound scan and finding free fluid, for instance, in the abdomen, isn't diagnosing. That's an observation. Exactly the same as if a nurse was to take a heart rate on a patient and it was tachycardic with a high heart rate, they would go and report that to the vet and say, "This patient's tachycardic." Blah blah blah. What are we going to do next? The same as if you'd done a scan, there was free fluid in the abdomen. You go up to your vet and be like, "This large amount of free fluid in this dog's abdomen. What are we going to do next?" They can tap it go from there in terms of a treatment plan. So it's really trying to, to sort of promote RVNs can do more. And, you know, this was only a few years ago that people started to then realise after I was posting about it on social media that we could do ultrasound scans. So there's probably still a load of stuff out there that we don't realise that we can actually do until we until somebody actually sticks their head out and and starts doing it. So since then, it's gained quite a lot of traction. And I've spoken at sort of quite a few congresses and I do um, sort of nurse days now with IMV. Um, so yeah, it all sort of stemmed from one C P D day really and, and finding abnormalities and making a difference to the patients that we see.
1: You know, you, you bring up a good point in there. I mean it's it, it really is not unlike getting a blood work printout and seeing a low blood sugar and saying this pet's hypoglycemic. Yeah. That that that's not the diagnosis. That's not the reason no. why. That's just calling it out that this is an observation, this is a finding. We need to deal with this now. That's a that's actually a, a really that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned in there too the IVN ambassador. Um, desc- describe that a little bit, what, what that is. Yeah.
2: So um, i am um, done a bit of work with IMV Imaging, um, who are sort of, they produce products. They sort of are a bit of a distributor uh, globally for sort of imaging products such as X ray, ultrasound, CT, MRI, endoscopy. Um, but they also produce a lot of clinical content, so clinical education. Um, that they produce and basically started working with them to try and promote ultrasound to a wider group of nurses within the UK so we do about four dates a year where they're sort of practical days based around the country just to make them more accessible but um, I started working with them because their values that they have are very much aligned to mine they they're very pro nurse which there's some companies potentially who are very vet focused and the nurses are sort of left sort of in the background and and behind whereas nurses are now a lot of the time in the uk at the forefront they're being asked to participate in things they're being you know invited to a seat at the table to to share their views essentially so when imv came to me their, their values are very similar to, to what i see and the sort of integrity and stuff like that so um i have a gev scan air probe that they gave me which is a portable ultrasound probe that connects to your phone um, or tablet and um, which is really nice for them sort of point of care ultrasound scans a few patients, you know, not in the, the best of sort of clinical um sort of status that you can take that ultrasound to them get very sort of rapid answers. So um I kind of tend to make some weird and wacky TikToks of those on <laughs> on social media <laughs> without making an appearance. Um but no it's quite a nice like innovative product really um that's there. So and I actually now work for them. So that's a new development that happened in the last in the last sort of couple of months. Um I'm an account manager for them across the Midlands in the UK. So providing clinical education to the practices on on diagnostic imaging, specifically endoscopy at the moment. But I do, do still do quite a bit of ultrasound for them with courses and stuff like that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of developed into a diagnostic imaging job, really.
1: Amazing. Um, you know, one thing I'm curious about, too, and you've kind of alluded to it a little bit. Um, I, I'm very curious how this goes over with the veterinarians, you, you doing this. Have you encountered struggles or resistance with that um are they generally pretty supportive and appreciative of the help um kind of curious what that looks like
2: a massive um divide probably it's been about sort of 60 40 i'd probably say in favor of nurses doing ultrasound scans um the biggest question was obviously the diagnosing thing and when you actually start to describe that to people in terms of like you know if i pick up an animal's tachycardic or hyperglycemic, like you said, then I'm going to report it to you the same as if I can find free fluid. And the biggest way that I tend to, not sell it to them, but pitch it to them, is that if you're in a situation where you're stacked up with consults coming through the door in emergencies here, if I can scan that patient for you and pick up on abnormalities a lot quicker, we can effectively triage that patient a lot better. It's going to save you time. I get job satisfaction out of it. And the patient um, outcome is going to be far improved as, as opposed to leaving it. So it kind of helps with their workflows and taking away the things that they don't have to do. We can obtain images from ultrasound as well. It's not like they have to be there at that exact moment in in time. We can sort of take videos as well and annotate them so we can just sort of information gather, same as taking an x-ray and stuff like that. So it's been very mixed. Um, When I teach it, some people will say to me that, oh, my vet still wants to, to scan it themselves afterwards. In that case, I really don't mind it's you know they're also in charge of that patient and they've got to make an informed decision on on what they're going to do next if they want to scan it it's not a problem but i try and sort of you know pitch it as they're under a lot of pressure same as nurses and techs are working in practice so you know let us utilize our skills as much as possible so
0: yeah that uh, I, I was having a follow-up and, and my question was do you find sometimes the vets are like i'm going to scan it myself um you know Thinking of, of like tachycardia, you know, we tell them it's tachycardic, they're still going to listen. Right. But yeah, a stethoscope on is a lot different than getting them back up on the table and doing an ultrasound and doing all that stuff. So um, I was I was wondering if, if the vets actually took your word for it or do, do you have can you record on the it- device?
2: yeah yeah so you can record videos up to 10 seconds each time so you can actually do that and you can send the videos on that app really easily to to people as well so that's quite nice the vets i used to find it completely vary depending on the working relationship i had with them if they knew sort of what my skill set was then they tended to have a bit more trust potentially or they just go and look at the images i had on the screen um, and then they go from there with sort of the treatment plan going forward I've done a stint of locoming, So um, like relief work, if you like um, at a time. So that obviously was a bit different because I would scan things. And sometimes vets would be a bit like, I don't know who you are. You've literally been yeah, here two yeah. days. So how do I know <laughs> if you're any good at it? <laughs> um, so it wasn't until you sort of build up those like working relationships with, with the professionals that you're working with that they don't start to trust, trust yeah. your abilities and what you're doing. So for sure. Yeah, for I, sure. I
0: mean, I, I work relief and I, I find the same thing. Like, Going yeah. into these, and like, okay, just I'm just gonna double check. But then, you know, after a while, they they're like, okay, I know what I I know he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, unbelievably, we are halfway through this this hour. Uh, once again, Jeff, that yeah, flies, flies by, flies right by. So why don't we take our <laughs> quick break here, uh, and we'll be back after the break.
1: The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step.
0: We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy,
1: give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really liked that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed
0: therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the
1: help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash BetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators.
0: All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe. Now serving uh, high tea here at the Vet Tech Cafe. (laughs) Uh, We're trying to expand our our menu to be all inclusive. Uh, So, Jack, we just had our ad for BetterHelp, um, and we like to focus a lot on mental health here. Uh, Jeff and I like to focus on our own mental health, even though we struggle with it. Um, so how do you manage your own mental health?
2: So I think I have always been quite fond of having a decent work-life balance um, throughout the whole time. Um, I'd quite like to work as almost as little as possible, but <laughs> still getting, you know, job satisfaction out of that. But the pressures that we face, I think it's very important to try and have something that you can take your mind away from the pressures of work. So getting home and not, you know trying to switch off can be quite difficult, especially if you've had a you know, highly emotional day or if it's been you've tried everything you can and things still haven't gone to plan. I was quite lucky that I started playing bowls at the age of 10, which is a bit of a random sport. So it's what? over here is as classes a bit of like an old person's sport.
0: What? What um, is it?
2: So it's called bowls, and there's various different types of it um, lawn bowls, it might be called, or um, it's yeah, uh, basically you have one big bowl well you have four of them and you try and get them as close as possible to a smaller jack it's called um that you sort of roll up a a long stretch of grass or you can play indoors on indoor mats as well the type i play is short mat bowls um and i've been playing since the age of 10 so um and now play sort of very competitively as well so i represent england and um like world ranking events and stuff like that so yeah that was probably my escape That you know I had something completely different than veterinary to focus on through my studies as well which is quite nice to be able to switch off from from studies sometimes um so yeah that was my main sort of breakaway really and then I'm quite lucky that I have um my dogs as well so and we live sort of in the countryside so it's quite a, 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 like a a lot of nice walks around mm-hmm. that we can sort of take them out on it our
0: weekend. So. It sounds like
2: bocce uh, balls. Uh, bocce ball? Bocce ball? Yeah, Does that's what I was like thinking. That? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Sort of similar. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, so, yeah, I managed to travel to various different countries with it. So Dang. Norway, Sweden, Belgium. Um, I won the wow. European pairs competition a couple of months ago. So, that was quite a big achievement. Um, met my partner through, through the sport as well. So, yeah, um, all sorts of. Sort of things have come from it, really. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be in Canada in 2026, all oh, being cool.
0: well. Oh, wow! Dang. Yeah, Jeff, when we were in Chicago, we found a we found a bar that had that had bocce ball, like. Courts, mm. you could go play on. Oh, head so we, courts. Yeah, so we went and – I forget what it was called. Pinstripes, maybe? I think they had bowling mm. as well, but but we went to just play bocce ball. That was – it was a lot of fun. And, of yeah. course, I was pretty good. pretty good at it. I don't want to brag. <laughs> <I would laughs> <be good. laughs> um, so, Jack, you were recognized at, at the London Vet Shows as one of 30 under 30. What does that mean to you, and what are your favorite topics to lecture on?
2: So, um, that actually meant quite a lot to me because – I am i don't often like to shout about like what I've achieved and stuff like that sometimes. So mm-hmm. I just sort of let it go by and don't actually take time to reflect on, on what has gone on in the past or five years or so. Um, so the 30 under 30 was launched by vet shows um, specifically at the London vet show. And it was a chance for people within the profession to nominate any colleagues, other professionals they knew who they felt were sort of making an impact within the within the veterinary industry. And the, um they had to be under the age of thirty. So there were some disgruntled people who were like I'm <laughs> over thirty. <30." Yeah>. Um, <laughs> yeah. so um yeah, but they basically had a judging panel and they had to whittle them down to thirty people who are under the age of thirty who um were nominated. And I think I had a, a few nominations go in, um, and you got to read those nominations afterwards, which is actually really nice to read what people mm-hmm. um, you know, thought that you were doing and, and the sort of positive impact it had, because a lot of time we don't see so sort of the positive impact we're having on people or the stuff you put on, on social media, you don't realize who's reading it, mm-hmm. um, but it actually sort of does make quite an impact sometimes. So, yeah, that was um, really nice to be sort of recognized for.
0: Jeff, you mentioned I, I would be in the 50 over 50. And, and as I'm thinking of it, I, I doubt there's 50 technicians in, in the field that are <laughs> over 50. <laughs> you,
1: you, you'd be surprised, I think, I think, but I think the important thing, the under 30 part is like, right, that's the future right. of, of yeah. the profession, right? And that's, so, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of the past. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm, I'm guessing uh, diagnostic imaging ultrasound is a big one, but do you lecture on like just kind of general ECC topics as well, or do you kind of just focus on
2: ultrasonography part? So ultrasonography has been my only real um, area of of lecturing since, you know, probably I qualified 2018 and I think I did my first lecture about a year after that, um, which was absolutely terrifying, may I add. Um, (laughs) I'd done, um, no, it was a few years after that actually. It just happened pre-pandemic, so a lot of the lecture I did was online behind a computer screen, which is absolutely fine because you know, even if there was 100 people on there, you can't see all them 100 people. So it's very different. And then it started after that. And I lectured at BVA Congress on ultrasound for the first time in person and expected like 20 people to turn up because I thought ultrasound was quite a boring subject and not many people would be too interested in it, as I was when I was a student. And um, I think 145 or so turned up in the room. I remember standing there just like, oh my god and there's people <laughs> sitting on the floor and it's absolutely <laughs> um, but it went really well and the feedback afterwards was really nice um people said it was like engaging and actually sort of resonated with them quite a lot and they could take it back into practice so since then it's literally just been requests for for ultrasound um talks and specifically to nurses that's what is quite nice that it's a very nice uh, delivering ultrasound for nurses rather than potentially a vet delivering it to them because it's a bit different in terms of what they're looking for vets seem to get caught up on pancreases and adrenal glands and if they can't find them they don't bother doing ultrasound scans um which that's only to the detriment of the patient so that's a big um one of my favorite quotes is that you don't have to be able to find a pancreas or adrenal gland to start doing an ultrasound scan um so I quite enjoy sort sort of you know getting those into my talks um, and yeah, since then, there has been like a series of practical workshops and the, the sort of practical element of doing a fast and T fast scanning. So, yeah.
0: Well, and I, I think you're, you're exactly right. The things that we as technicians are looking for in ultrasound is is quite different than what what our veterinarians are looking for. Uh, yeah. You know, depending on their, their experience level, like we're looking for bladders, we're looking for fluid. Uh, and yeah. some of our doctors are looking for things that are a lot more involved in quite frankly, over our heads sometimes where I, I'm looking at yeah. and I'm like, I don't, I
2: don't even know what organ we're looking at right now. <laughs> exactly. Especially, That's mainly what I say to people. I was like, is there fluid and should it be where it is? Right. Or, like right. or if you can see a structure that looks a bit weird, whereabouts is it? Can you see if it's attached to anything like it? Like, is it attached to the spleen, for instance? And I'm very easy for that. So
0: Yeah, right. Um, so what are your next steps or are, are you planning to expand? Are you gonna Are you gonna write a chapter in a book? Are you gonna just do more more teaching? what What's your What's your next steps?
2: So I've um we've got quite a lot of courses going on over the next sort of year or so with IMV that we're doing in person. Um, they're also launching an online nurse ultrasound course. I would oh, cool. like to get to the point where I could have maybe potentially my own ultrasound course for people. Um, sort of either online and, and part in person. Um, and I did, was also approached not so long back about sort of a, a book and things like that. So it's just finding the time for them things because I imagine yeah, they probably yeah, take yeah. quite a lot of time um, to do. So, um, but yeah, mainly that the clinical content I I enjoy to sort of focus on to, to be able to sort of help and, and give back to people who are on the clinical floor. Um, but next steps, yeah, my new job is you know quite exciting. That endoscopy is quite a underutilized tool, um, like ultrasound probably was over here four or five years ago it was sat in the corner gathering dust and i think endoscopy is a bit similar that people are worried about breaking it so they just don't bother using it <laughs> um so Good point. that's quite an exciting chapter to see how that sort of grows in the in the diagnostic imaging sort of market and and with imv they're very sort of supportive and 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 sort of like that and supporting practices to to get the most out of their equipment so
1: for sure you know you've mentioned a couple times and i've read it in your bio too the bvna the british veterinary Nurses Association right or is it BB yeah 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 um, that's it so talk about that a little bit talk about your time serving on the council um, what that organization does um, and what you were what you were a part
2: of yeah so um, the BBNA is a representative uh, body for veterinary nurses in in Britain or, or the UK and um, so it's a optional sort of membership that you can join I think they have about six to seven thousand members at the moment um, I think there's about twenty two, twenty three thousand 23,000 vet nurses in the UK currently. So mm. it's probably about sort of a quarter or so of them that they have. And they sort of can lobby um, the RCVS, which is our governing body, to sort of look to to change things, improve things, change sort of legislation, um, push on government and sort of welfare topics. And they work quite closely with um, other organisations like the BVA, which is the British Veterinary Association. So it's just the, the Vets equivalent. Um, and they sort of work quite closely with them because you know we can't do their jobs we can't do our jobs without the vets and the vets probably can't do their jobs without us so it's a nice sort of collaborative um, working partnership that they've got going on there um, to sort of um, improve the, the job sort of role of the veterinary nurse in practice and and out. there's a lot of uh, industry roles now as well sort of that, that are being supported and championed too so Um, To get onto the BVNA Council, you have to be elected. So you have to put yourself forward um, for election, and then that goes out to the members for votes, and then you stand for a three-year term um, in that time. So I um, applied for council the the year I qualified because I sort of just had a bit of a a bug to me to sort of drive and try and get, you know, to the top of, not to the top where you can, but make a difference and, and actually get involved within the profession rather than keeping in your individual practice bubble. Um, I sort of very much like networking with different people. So um was lucky to to be voted on um, within that sort of um, election process and campaign process and um, was on for three years and, yeah, met a huge variety of people from the veterinary profession as a whole, um, sort of people from BVA, RCDS, um, which has, yeah, been been quite nice now because at, at Congresses you tend to know sort of quite a few people there, um, different sort of opportunities. People know what, what you do and stuff like that. So, all sorts of opportunities arose from it, from speaking at different conferences and events to scanning um, turtles in Greece as well. That's that's probably come from sort of, you know, connections that we make. So, um, yeah.
1: Super cool. And, you know, I I asked sort of a similar question earlier, more specifically about ultrasound, but talk about like the veterinarian-vet-nurse relationship. There, Because I feel like here we have kind of a generation of veterinarians that maybe are on their way out that there was, you know, the, the veterinary technician checked people in, checked people out, answered the phones, held the pet, and that was about it. And I feel like, you know, some of the newer grads, um they've learned to lean on the technicians to do all of the stuff. And the, the veterinarians are really, you know, just more viewing labs and in the rooms with the clients and that. And, and I'm curious how it is over there, what
2: that dynamic looks like. Definitely sounds very similar. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, definitely a shift within the the newer um, sort of veterinary professionals coming into the profession that they, they know that vet nurses can do more. And probably when I first started, we were almost glorified cleaners in, in some respects, but there's mm-hmm. been a massive change since then that we're not there to, To mop the floors and just clean up sort of behind them and we are actually professionals in our own right and and there are tasks and and things that we can carry out with, with our sort of qualification to to aid animal welfare and you know get the end result that we all want so um but alternatively you know there are some of them older generation vets um who potentially are on their sort of way out of the industry who do champion nurses and they do have you know their own practices that they get nurses to do things that are schedule free procedures which will be things like um stitch up procedures you know toe amputations they can do um anything that's not in a body cavity pretty much that is, is what they can do and it's sort, of, sort of within their code of conduct so it, it's there's a massive variation but you know you have the other end of the spectrum within that too but there's definitely within the last sort of three or four years been a been an incredible shift in trying to promote the role of the veterinary nursing sort of profession and increase their skill sets of what they can do um similar to sort of like human nurses in terms of like advanced practitioner status and and doing things that they can then unlock you know other areas of the job that they can carry out uh,
0: you you mentioned in there the a couple times now the entering a body cavity so does that mean that if you are doing an ultrasound and you see fruit food you can't poke it
2: so th- this is where the sort of education comes down a lot as well because the amount of practice i did locuming out um so relief work and I would do a scan, there'd be free fluid, and I'd be asked to take the take the sample of the free fluid. And I was like, I'm not allowed to. Mm, it's yeah. you know, it's against psycho-conduct. If I was to do that and something was to go wrong, I'm gonna lose my my qualification and be struck off the register. So
0: yeah,
2: um, yeah, having an awareness and that is something I always cover in my lectures to make nurses aware that they, they can't do that, just so they're covering themselves when they go into practice and potentially doing these scans. I'd like to see like qualifications out there that you could do such as like an ultrasound qualification, for instance. That once you've done that certificate, if you do scans in future and there are free fluid sort of in the abdomen, you've kind of unlocked the ability to be able to take right, that fluid right. because you've done this qualification. That's what I would quite like to see further down the line.
0: It, does that turn into like a slipper and slope of like, well, if you can do this, then you can do that, and then if you do that, then potentially yeah. yeah so
2: there needs to be some sort of rigid framework there i think so yeah. people are aware of what they can and can't do but i know there is sort of talk about like an advanced practitioner sort of role in in the veterinary nursing industry but um, again everything sort of takes time going through government of course, and, and yeah. legislation so yeah yeah yeah
1: um so you have the vn certificate i'm curious um popular isn't the right word but you know over here um we strictly have a VTS and I know, you know, obviously there's VTS is in many countries around the world. I'm, I'm curious, is the, the VTS pathway pretty well known about there or is, it, or are people in the UK more focused on just getting their VNECC because it's probably more applicable to, you know, to the work you're doing there. Um, is that something you would ever consider doing? I'm just curious about like, I guess the, the knowledge about the VTS pathway there.
2: Yeah. And um, so over here, obviously, priorities is R.V.N. and then after that, you can sort of branch out into your different areas of what you, what you enjoy. So E.C.C. is one of them, surgical nursing, uh, internal medicine is another one, as well. So um nutrition, how whatever you sort of you know you have that niche area that you enjoy, you can sort of explore into that is the main thing. E.C.C. is quite popular because there's quite a lot of out of hours clinics um, and emergency and critical care sort of work, um, but also there's quite a lot of people who've undertaken sort of um, postgraduate certs in internal um, in medicine as well so all sorts of different ones I do know a few people over in the UK who've done their VTS and then they've done it in their specific areas my knowledge on the VTS isn't probably as good as what it should be um, I know that it's a lot of work and um, <laughs> like the, the case logs and stuff like that is is quite intense and um, I know someone who's going through it at the moment um, she's doing her VTS in oncology at the moment oh, um, Wow. I also know um, a lady called Laura Jones who's done hers in internal medicine and um, also another nurse called Charlotte Pace who's done hers in cardiology and I know the, the sheer amount of work that goes beyond it there sort of behind it is quite intense. Um, I would love to do one in sort of diagnostic imaging or you know along those lines at some point in my life. I think over here there's I don't know the exact criteria that you have to have in practice to be able to do it I think you might have to have someone who's already got a VTS. Um, or is sort of with some sort of board, I think, to potentially study it. So, um, but yeah, it'd definitely be worth sort of something, to, something to explore.
0: I'm curious, in that same same vein, like how how are how are those two things perceived by the veterinarians? Uh, are, are they on equal
2: level, or are they is one better than the other, or do they not care? <laughs> so I would say the VN ECC is probably recognized within this country from the vets because they kind of probably have seen it quite a lot and it's, it's fairly it's fairly common the vts probably isn't so common in sort of our you know the first opinion practices that we have um whereas the vts is probably a bit more common within our referral centers um over okay. here so the sort of more specialist side of things um but again i think it's probably lack of knowledge and not not knowing someone who's done it so i'm lucky that i know a couple of people who have done it um, so it, you know, it springs to mind.
0: Uh, so we're, we're getting close to our hour. Um, is there anything else that we haven't asked you or that you wanted to talk, talk about before we start to wrap up? Not off
2: the top of my head that I can think of. <laughs> no, I think we've, we've crammed quite a lot. Into yeah, it, we have. Into our yeah,
1: yeah. Hour. yeah, yeah, we <laughs> sure have. Um, we always like to ask too, we always like to ask our guests, is there a person um, that you think would be a good fit to take your seat and for us to interview
2: in a future episode or a topic you would like to hear discussed? Um, so, there, as you guys are quite passionate about sort of mental health and, and stuff like that, um, there's a very good friend of mine who I actually met through social media, um, who I would class as, you know, a very good friend now um, as in the veterinary professional space called Katie Ford. I don't know if you've heard of her at all. Um, she deals, mm-hmm. initially started off with. Um, Talking about imposter syndrome, um, so people who are in the veterinary space who, you know, feel like an imposter, and doing a lot of work on that sort of workshops, um, you know, being a bit of a, a coach with them as well. Uh, but she is probably one of the biggest champions of the veterinary profession in general, and wants to give back into that to keep people in it and stopping them from, you know, um, getting too caught up with their work and making sure that they're happy in in their roles and stuff like that so she's been a massive influence on on what I've achieved and sort of a bit of a cheerleader in the background um so she's pretty phenomenal um and also I mean I could list quite a few people so I won't sit here all day and there's quite a few people um so yeah um, but Katie Ford is definitely someone who's had a massive influence on on my career. Amazing. Well, we'll have Amazing. to
0: get your contact for her because when I when I Google Katie yeah. Forbes I get a uh, a really jacked wrestler, and I don't think <laughs> so.
2: F, so it's Ford F F O
0: R D Ford? Okay, that's probably yeah. that, that was probably my my problem. Yeah, um, and if
2: you put, I reckon if you put a vet after it, you should get a come up. She recently just won the RCVS, so the Royal College of Veterinary oh, Surgeons cool. Inspiration Award as well. Oh, so awesome! Oh, wow! Awesome!
0: Yeah, we'll we'll definitely wow. look her up.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure.
0: All right, Jack. Well, now we are down to your would you rather question. Are you ready for it? Oh, I
2: think so. Okay, <laughs>
0: um, give me a number one, two, or three. Oh. Two. All right, I like I like this question. Um, <laughs> would you rather be shot while wearing a bulletproof vest or tasered? Shot.
2: Shot with the- definitely shot Ooh, as long as they're really? gonna shoot me in the vest.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel I, I feel that's probably a more just kind of instant thing and yeah. that's over as opposed to just
2: <laughs> however long yeah. R- it lasts being tasered I guess execute. yeah yeah. It, did, yeah. Did, did yeah. I, ask,
0: I, I feel like we talked about this with another guest I think it was like a after the fact but my, my thought was always like from the Dumb and Dumber movie uh, well what if they shot me in the face <laughs> like what if this is <laughs> the <Yeah>. vest <laughs> I, I, think, I think you have to
1: qualify it that you're going to be shot yeah. in the vest definitely going to be yeah. in the vest <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh well, uh, well, Jack. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time out to uh, to chat with us about all of this. Um, really, really insightful episode. We love these um, kind of international this international series that we're doing because again, I think so many of us are fighting the same battles, and and I just yeah. don't think we realize it. And yeah, we're all at a little bit different stage, but I feel like there's there's got to be a way. I keep saying there's, there's got to be a way for us to connect and help drive each other's organizations forward because yeah. we're, we're all in the same boat here. And, um, yeah. So anyway, thank you so much yeah. for, uh, for the time. Um, I know, uh, it, it took a lot to, to get yeah. here. Um, <laughs> thank you for, uh, for sticking it out with us. Um, and, um, if you have any links, anything you want us to promote, I mentioned your social media channels. We'd be happy to put that in the notes too. Um, otherwise, um, Caffeinators, be well. We will talk to you guys again soon. Thank you. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media, they can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years' experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators! We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vettech Cafe, have yourself a great day.